I want to say good morning to you all. It's good to have you with us. If you're joining us here for the very first time, a special welcome to you. Uh, my name is Dan Min, and I serve as the pastor here at ACF, and it's a, it's a joy to be together, to worship together, and to sing together, to cry out together, pray together. It's, uh, it is one of my favorite things that I get to do during the week, to gather together with you in this way. And so uh, thrilled you've chosen to uh, worship with us here this morning. Uh, you, uh, just before we dive into this morning's message, I just, I do have one quick announcement to put before you. Uh, it wasn't in the announcements earlier, but, uh, some of you may have heard this, uh, in the past before we've mentioned it, we've announced it before, but, uh, this coming May, um, we're going to be sending down a team, uh, a, a team of mission, a small, uh, what am I trying to say? Uh, short-term missions team. Uh, when I say short-term, I mean seven days. And so uh, it's, this is going to be happening March 17th through the 24th. And, uh, and some of you may or may not know this, but um, we've had a long-standing partnership with a family restoration center uh, in Peru. Uh, and when I say partnership, I mean ACF actually started and built what started out as an orphanage. Uh, any architect majors in the house? Any architect major? Yeah, we got, we got some. Okay, awesome. Uh, well, years and years and years ago, we had an architect student for his senior thesis, his senior project, was to build an orphanage. And uh, he was a member, uh, a leader here at ACF, and so uh, ACF decided that year to put his senior project into practice. And so they sent out a team uh, of ACF students and literally started breaking ground and building this orphanage from the ground up in Peru. And it has been operating ever since then. And so when I say we have a long-standing relationship, this is a ministry that came out of ACF and uh, we've been partnering with them in, the, in all these years. Now, the last couple of years, we weren't able to send out teams because of COVID and all of that, but uh, we're gonna reestablish that, that uh, partnership this coming May. And so uh, we already have a handful of students that said, I'm in, I, I, I want to go. Uh, the cost, for those of you who are wondering, is about $2,000. That includes airfare and all the, all the expenses that, that comes with this trip. Now, we don't expect you to pay all that $2,000. We have fundraising efforts that we do here at ACF and all these things. And, uh, and so don't let cost. In my eight years of, of doing this, We've never had to turn anyone away because of finances. And so if you feel God kind of nudging your heart to say, hey, I've never done a short-term mission trip before. I might be interested in doing this. I feel like this could be helpful in my spiritual growth. Uh, don't let the, the, the finances hold you back. Please come and talk with, with us, and we'll find a way to get you there. Um, Josh Bowman is the, our team leader, and he's going to be standing at the back welcome table after service. And uh, you, can, you can approach him with any questions you might have, any interest you have please talk with him, and we'd love to see you join us for this mission trip. And so that's, uh, that's before you, as well as many other things that are happening in the life of our church. Very exciting stuff. But today, we continue on in our series that we kicked off last week. We launched into a, a new sermon series last week called Teach Us to Pray. Teach Us to Pray. And if you missed last week's message, no worries. You can catch it on our website or on Apple Podcasts. But we're going to be spending some time for the better part of this semester digging into a topic that, that I, along with our leadership team, have felt a leading towards for quite some time, and that's the topic of prayer. Prayer. 
And would you know that this topic was just as much on the disciples' hearts in the early church as it is for us here today. That's effectively what the disciples came to Jesus and asked him. In this moment of, of, of learning and walking with Jesus all these years, they're, they're walking with him, and, and the disciples come to Jesus, and they, the question that they ask Jesus is, Lord, teach us to pray. Again, we talked about this last week, but these disciples were asking Jesus something that was more specific than this sort of general ask, teach us to pray. These disciples were really asking, teach us to pray like you, Jesus. Won't you teach us to pray the way you pray? We want to pray like you, Jesus. Because when you pray, things seem to happen. When you pray, things seem to change. When you pray, there's power. When you pray, lives are changed. But when we pray, we fall asleep. Anyone guilty of that? Anyone like you go into your early morning prayer closet, man, I'm ready to meet with Jesus, right? You open up your word and all these things. I know like two minutes in, you're like, I like, no joke, I have woken up from prayer times with drool on my arm. I'm like, I wake up, I'm like, Jesus, I'm still here. I promise I'm still, I'm with you. I'm with you, right? We fall asleep. The disciples fall asleep in prayer time. I mean, for the early disciples, when they observed Jesus pray, they observed a different kind of prayer pattern. They noticed something different. The prayer life of Jesus looked fundamentally different than the prayer lives of the early disciples. And what they wanted to know was, What's your secret sauce, Jesus? Now, did Jesus ever fall asleep when he prayed? I think he did. In fact, I'll just say this. I don't think that it is a sin to fall asleep while you're praying. For those of you who are wondering, you're like, oh, man, I, yeah, I feel bad. I've fallen asleep. The best thing that God might have for you is a holy divine snooze in the presence of the Almighty. All right, that, that might be, for some of you, that is a gift from heaven. And so the, Jesus might be saying, hey, glad you're here with me, but brother, you need some sleep. So just, just, just lay on this, just, just rest here. Did Jesus fall asleep perhaps? I don't know. But when, they, when the early disciples observed Jesus pray, they said, man, there, there's, a, there's something different about the way you pray. And so, so Jesus, what's your, what's your secret sauce? You know, you know, like, the, you know, In-N-Out has their secret sauce. By the way, In-N-Out is the best burger joint in, you know, if you're wondering. Do it, Shake Shack, what's your secret sauce? What, what is your secret sauce? When you pray, Jesus, your prayer life seems different, and so we want to know what makes your prayer life so different than our prayer lives. And lucky for you and for me, we don't have to wonder what the secret sauce is. Because in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus tells us, he begins to break down for his disciples just exactly how it is that we are to pray. And as a result, we here today can learn how to pray the way Jesus prayed. And just maybe, just maybe, again, this is our hope for this series, that your prayer life might change because you have adopted the prayer patterns of Jesus. You see, for some of us, we just got to switch up the pattern that we're praying through and the pattern that we're praying by. And so the disciples were like, okay, uh, we're ready. Teach us how to pray. Teach us how to pray. And so if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to start at verse 9, Matthew chapter 6. Now, as you're finding your place, let me quickly fill you in. Right before verse 9, that's where we're going to start here this morning, Jesus essentially tells us how not to pray. 
It's like, okay, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And Jesus is like, okay, guys, before I teach you how to pray, you need to know how not to pray. There's a whole host of ways to, to not pray. And he says, don't pray like the hypocrites who only pray for show. Don't pray like the Gentiles who offer up empty prayers. Again, last week we unpacked that. What do we mean by praying like hypocrites and praying like Gentiles? He tells us how to develop a personal, private prayer life. It seeks to grow in intimacy. He tells us to trust God, this God who knows what we need even before we ask him. And he's like, okay, these Gentiles, they don't pray the right way. These hypocrites, they don't pray the right way. Don't pray like them. And so Jesus lays down some initial groundwork by telling us how not to pray. And then we get to Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. And this is where Jesus begins to break down his prayer pattern for us. This is where he teaches us just exactly how it is that we are to pray. So I want to look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. I'm going to ask Alex to come back up here and read today's scripture passage for us. Again, we're in Matthew 6, verse 9. If you don't have a Bible in front of you, that's okay. We'll have the text displayed up here on the screen as well. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 9, and we'll go through to verse 15. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Amen. Thank you, Alex. Now, for those of you who grew up in the church, you would recognize this prayer as the Lord's Prayer. Or if you grew up in a Catholic tradition, you would know this as the Our Father Prayer. And, and an alternate version of this prayer has sort of a, an ending tacked on to the end that goes, For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Right? Like some of you guys know the Lord's Prayer. Maybe you grew up in church traditions where this was recited sort of in a weekly basis. Now that line at the end, it, it was so added later on in church history that then has become adopted into the traditional Lord's Prayer that had been recited in churches over the centuries on end. But the original prayer the original Lord's Prayer, the Our Father Prayer, in Matthew 6, as paralleled also in Luke 11, that's the other place we see the Lord's Prayer show up, in case you're wondering, ends with verse 13 in Matthew chapter 6. And, and then verse 14 and 15 is some additional commentary that Jesus has that he goes on and further expounding on the actual prayer. But now this prayer that Jesus teaches us, known as the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father Prayer, is filled with insight and knowledge and wisdom into the mind and heart of Christ. It gives us a clue as to how Jesus approached prayer. Now, uh, again, if you want to learn how to do something like an expert, you go to the experts. You don't go to the beginners. You, know, you, know, you, you go to the experts who have been doing this. You go to the best of the best, and there was no better expert in the area of prayer than Jesus himself. And so when Jesus teaches us how to pray, you better be taking some notes down. When Jesus begins to break down, here's how I pray and here's how I would encourage you to pray, you better be listening with ears wide open because what he's about to share is pure gold. You see, in this single prayer that consists of only 56 words, a little more than a tweet, 56 words, we're given the recipe for the prayer life of Jesus. We're shown what Jesus thinks about how he approaches prayer. 
Now, now with something this rich, we need to take it in bite-sized pieces, and that's what we're going to do. In fact, this morning, I want us to just look at the first line in the Lord's Prayer, and not even the first complete sentence in the Lord's Prayer, but rather the first four words in the prayer, Our Father in Heaven. Our Father in Heaven. It's no accident that Jesus begins the prayer with these four words. These four words provide the framework for the rest of this prayer. In other words, without these four words, the rest of the preceding words will not make a ton of sense. The rest of the prayer won't make a whole lot of sense without this initial framework of our Father in heaven. The rest of the prayer flows out of these four words. But for now, I just want to start out by looking at the first two words, our Father. Won't you say those two words with me this morning? Our Father. One more time. Our Father. Jesus says, here's how you pray. You start off like this. Pray. Our Father. Did you know that when Jesus taught this prayer, this would have been a prayer that would have been radically flipped upside down for these early disciples? It, this prayer, the way this prayer begins, would have cut against the grain of everything that these disciples were taught about prayer. You see, for these early Jewish disciples, they were taught in their homes, in their families, in the synagogues, in the temple courts by religious leaders that you approach God with absolute reverence, with utter awe and wonder in humility, and that's all valid. In fact, we're going to come back to those principles next week. But Jesus says, pray like this, our Father. And for the Jewish listeners at this time, the disciples, they were taught, okay, hang on. We approach God in prayer with wonder, with, with, with reverence, almost with a sense of fear. In fact, you, you couldn't even get close to the presence of God without an intermediary, namely a priest. It was only the priests who were able to get close enough to God. There was this built-in chasm between God and his people. And so for the longest time, when these disciples prayed, they prayed to a God who was so sacred, so holy, so divine, so majestic, so otherworldly, that in many ways this God was unknowable, and unapproachable. It's like, God, we're praying to this God, this magnificent, this holy God that is so not like us. Years ago, uh, many, many, many years ago, uh, I had a, a run-in with a celebrity on our church property. Um, I don't know if you've ever had a run-in with a celebrity of any kind, and, you know, I like to think of myself as like, I'm chill, right? But I fanboy over, so I get starstruck, you know, it's like, you know, like, it's like, you know, and, and so years and years ago, I had a run-in with a celebrity on our church property. Now, before I tell you why he was on our church property, let me just warn you, this celebrity, uh, he was an A-list celebrity at the time, but he's kind of old now, and, and in fact, he, I, I don't think many of you would get terribly excited about this celebrity. I, I don't think many of you may even know who the celebrity is. Uh, he was probably most well-known for his lead role in the early 90s movie, Pretty Woman. Uh, starring Julia Roberts, and then the counterpart, the male counterpart. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Go ahead, shout it out. Richard Gere, okay. So I, I got a picture of him, in case you don't know who he is. So this is, this is Richard Gere, okay. Um, Richard Gere happened to be in a lot of these, like, rom-com movies and, like, co-starring next to, like, these, like, 
Hollywood bombshells, you know, like Julia Robertson, all these, like, you know, just, he was like the ladies' man, okay? It's like, I'm like, yeah, I want to be like Richard Gere, man. This is awesome, you know? Like, so Richard Gere is this, this is big shot, right? He's this big shot. And uh, the reason why he was on our church property was because he was filming a, a movie in our town. And uh, the production crew was using our church parking lot as sort of a, a campgrounds for all the trailers and all these things. Well, one day, I was walking across the parking lot to go to my office, and out of one of the trailers comes strolling out Richard Gere. And I walk right by his trailer close enough where we meet at the bottom of the stairs, and in that moment, I freeze. In that moment, like internally, mentally, I'm like... Now, now, mind you, it's only me and him in the whole parking lot. It's not like there's, you know, all this, like, commotion, the production. There was, there was nothing going on. It was just me and him in this massive church parking lot. He comes down the stairs. I'm like, it's Richard Gere. And I'm freaking out right now. And now, look, look, if I were real calm, cool, and collected, I may have gone up to him and uh, maybe shook his hand, introduced myself. Hey, Dick, how you doing? You know, like this. I might, I'm Dan. That, like, I may have even complimented him on his cinematic work. And, uh, you know, I could have done any number of things. But what do I do? I run. No kidding. I'm not even kidding. I sprint across the parking lot as fast as I can. I got my back. I'm sprinting, and I'm thinking, like, I wonder what Richard Gere's thinking. But I sprint because I'm trying to avoid talking to Richard Gere, this celebrity. You see, in my mind, this was a guy who was so famous, so rich, right, so accomplished in his career field, he was virtually untouchable. I'm looking at him, I'm like, this is the guy who locked lips with Julia Roberts. I mean, like, what, like I'm standing right next to him, and I'm thinking to myself, what could I possibly say to him? <laughs> like, what, what do I say to him? Well, I can imagine that's a little bit of how the early disciples felt about God. This God that we're praying to? Okay, now, now let me just clarify. I'm not trying to compare Richard here with God, okay? That's a, don't, don't go too far with this analogy, but, but just go with me for a minute. I can imagine the early disciples thought to themselves, when we pray to God, this is the God of the universe. This is the God who literally put the stars in their place. And when the stars move, they only move because God tells it to move. This is the God who is the creator of all things. The breath in my lungs is given to me by God. My life is sustained. All of life is sustained by this God. He is so holy, so divine, so otherworldly. What could I possibly say to him? He's untouchable. He's unapproachable. And then out of nowhere, here comes Jesus and he says to his disciples, from now on, when you pray, pray to your Father. Pray to your Father. Pray to your... Now, th these disciples, first of all, would have never approached God in this way as Father. That wouldn't have been their first instinct. Now, somewhere in their Jewish mind was this notion of God as Father, but that wouldn't have been the first place to go. Furthermore, the Aramaic word that Jesus uses here is not Father exactly in that same way, but the word Abba. Now, the word Abba is, is not exactly a word that generates uh, reverence or awe or wonder. 
And some of you know this, I've talked about this in the past. This word Abba drums up familiarity. It drums up comfort. Why? Because the word Abba is more equivalent to today's words like Papa or Dad or Daddy. I've used this word before in the past. People are like, oh, Dan, please don't use the word daddy. Like, it just makes me feel weird, okay? Like, First of all, get your mind out of the gutter. I don't mean it like that, okay? Dad, you got to think about this way. Like, as a child would reach up for their dad, daddy, hey, pick me up. Daddy, help me with this, daddy. Th- that, that sense of, of endearment and affection and innocence. Jesus says, hey, if anyone is like a child, let him come to me. Like, like let him come to me as as father. Papa, dad, daddy, like this, this sense of, of endearment and intimacy that a child would use with their dad with loving affection. You see, what Jesus was doing here was he was communicating something deeply profound about how we are to approach God in prayer. It's like Jesus was saying, you see, disciples, listen, the difference between how you pray and I pray is in our understanding of who we're praying to. You see, when I pray, I know I'm talking to my dad. When I pray, I know I'm talking to my papa. Now, can I just quickly pause here for a minute? For some of us, the greatest barrier in our prayer lives, the greatest barrier in approaching God as Abba, is in our own experience of our earthly fathers. Now, I remember, I remember hearing this years ago, and I just could not make that connection. For whatever reason, I just, I just always thought like, you know, my earthly dad, I understand, is different from my heavenly dad. It's like those two have no correlation. But as I started digging deeper into my relationship with God, how many of you know sometimes the impact of your family runs deep in your bones without you even realizing? Sometimes the impact and the effect of your family of origin runs so deep that once it starts manifesting, it surprises you. You're like, oh, this, this particularly shows up in the world of parenting. I know some of you guys, it's years away, but like when I started parenting, I'm like, before the kids rolled around, I said, I'm never going to be like my dad. I'm never going to parent like my dad. Kids roll around, all of a sudden, Gary Min starts coming up. I'm like, what is this? I don't want that. Like, that's not... Your family of origin runs deep in your bones, and sometimes, more often than not, your approach to your heavenly father will be vastly impacted by how you approach your earthly father. Now, for some of you, we may not have the best relationship with our earthly dads. We may have grown up in homes where we, didn't, we weren't particularly close with our dads. And maybe that's still the case today. For whatever reason, you may not have had this tight bond with your dad. And and so the thought of just talking to my dad might seem like a foreign concept to you. I remember there were many uh, years where my dad would drive me back and forth uh, to college. And uh, it was about a two-hour ride. And for those two hours, those four-hour round trip, my dad, he would say about two sentences. How are you? How's school? And that's it. That, that, was, that, was about, that was about the extent of my conversation. Now, you know, whatever. My dad could have been preoccupied. My dad, whatever. Like, we're two dudes. You know, dudes don't talk like that. You know, whatever. You could fill in the blank. But that was actually much of my life. It wasn't just the four-hour trip. It was much of my life. Maybe you always had a dad who, maybe you've always felt like, man, I, I, don't, I don't really feel like my dad really cares what I have to say. 
So what do you do? You just, you just keep it under wraps. You, you keep it to yourself. Or maybe you've always felt like your dad was sort of absent or, or distant, maybe physically and worse yet, maybe emotionally. Friends, I, I actually believe that it's worse off to have a dad present physically and yet absent emotionally. I think that does more harm to a, to a child's soul than, than, than actually not even being there physically. The message and the scripts that are formed out of that place of a dad being physically present but emotionally absent creates scars that are so deep that, that later on the fruit of that begins to bear fruit in incredibly unhealthy ways. And so, again, I, I don't know your story, but maybe you grew up in a home where your dad was absent or distant, again, physically or emotionally. Maybe you've always felt like your dad had more important things that occupied his mind, his life, his world, than his own kid. Now, let, let me just be clear. I'm not trying to create resentment towards you and your dad this morning. That's not, that's not. And maybe you had the best relationship with your dad. That will also impact and affect your view and your approach to God in prayer. I'm not trying to create resentment here or paint anyone's dad as the great villain in your story. But number one, if that was your experience, if I'm describing your experience with your dad, number one, let me just say this. It's okay to grieve that loss. Uh, let me just say this. Two things. I say it's okay, but I also say that it's necessary. And I, number two, I call it a loss, not because you lost your dad per se, but because as his child, you lost out on something that you desperately needed from your father figure in your life that you did not get. That's a loss, and it's okay to grieve that loss. In fact, I'll say it's necessary to grieve that loss. But after feeling the pain of that loss, and that's what grieving is. Grieving is not sweeping under the rug and pretending that it never happened. Grieving a loss or a pain in your life is not pretending that, that it's not there. Grieving a loss or grieving pain in your life what, is it, what does that look like? It's to feel the pain. It's to allow the pain to settle in. But we can't ever live out of that place perpetually. You can't live out of a place of pain for the rest of your life. After feeling the pain of that loss, you need to seek healing for that loss. And the best way to find healing for that kind of loss is to rediscover who God is in light of Abba Father. You see, I want you to hear me, friends. Your Abba Father cares for you in ways that are so deep and rich that he actually encourages you. He wants you to bring your burdens and cast them on him, every single one of them, big or small, because he cares for you. That's what the Bible tells us. Your Abba Father cares about every little thing in your life. Every little thing in your life, even the hairs on your head are all numbered, tells Scripture. He says, I care about all the little details of your life. Yesterday, uh, I think it was yesterday, my younger son, Luke, he comes up to me and he starts telling me all these things that he was doing on Fortnite. And I have no idea what he was talking about. He's like, Dad, I created this thing in creative mode. Da, 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 da. I'm like, that's awesome, man. I have no clue what the, half of the things you're saying, but like, I'm, I'm going to cheer you on. I'm going to press in. I'm going to be there. I'm going to say yes. That's, I'm going to be your biggest cheerleader right now. 
Every little thing, fortnight or not, God cares about. If he numbers the hairs on your head, trust me, he cares about what you have to say to him. He says, welcome. Come on, bring it all to me. I want to hear it all. I want to hear it all. They matter to me. Your Abba Father cares about you so deeply that as Psalm 56, 8 says, you keep track of all my sorrows and you collect all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one of them in your book. Friends, with your Abba Father, nothing goes unseen, nothing goes unnoticed, and nothing about our lives is insignificant in the eyes of God. Your Abba Father is not unapproachable. He's not unknowable. He's not untouchable. He's certainly not Richard Gere. He is your Heavenly Father who loves you more than you could ever know and cares for you more deeply than you could ever imagine. And for some of us, if we get our heads wrapped around that, that one truth, that one reality will revolutionize our prayer lives. And you have a father who is not so holy that he's so distant, but you have a father who is so close and intimate to you that he is approachable in its entirety where he says, come on, come talk to me. Come talk to your dad. I want to hear it all. And that's how Jesus approached God in prayer. See, when you know who you're praying to, it changes how you pray. When you know who you're praying to, when you know who you're approaching in prayer, it changes the way you pray. And so Jesus says, from now on, pray our Father. But then he goes on and he tacks on these two little words after that. He says, our Father in heaven. Now, I'm not going to spend a ton of time here. Because next week, we're going to actually look at the next line that's connected and tethered to these two words, in heaven. But here's what I'll say about this just for the moment. When these disciples thought about who God is in heaven, they not only thought about a place, but they also thought about power. There was this sort of dual nature of heaven in these disciples' minds when it came to heaven. It pertained to place and power. In other words, they would have likely thought of heaven as God's dwelling place. That's, that's the place. That's where God dwells. As Ecclesiastes 5 tells us, you are God in heaven, and here I am on earth. And so there was this clear distinction between heaven and earth. Heaven is where God's presence dwells, and earth is where we humble human beings, finite beings, dwell. But heaven also indicated not just place, but power. The fact that God is in heaven, and here I am on earth, was not just a distinction of place, but also one of power, which meant that if God is in heaven, that makes him all-powerful. He is omnipotent. I am not. If God is in heaven, that makes him all-knowing. His thoughts are higher than mine. His ways are higher than mine. If God is in heaven, it makes him all-knowing. He is omniscient, and I am not. If God is in heaven, that makes him in control of all things. He is sovereign. I am not. And this is so important to understand in our prayer lives, friends. We said it earlier, knowing who we're praying to changes the way how we pray. And so listen, if we only see God as our father, as papa, as dad, we run the risk of making God our cosmic complaint department. And what do I mean by that? God says, bring, you, bring me all of your concerns, all of your worries, all of your burdens. Right? I care for you. Okay, 
Papa, I hear you. Dad, I hear you. I'm going I'm to bring all those things before you, right? And so we bring him all of our concerns. We bring him all of our worries and all of our anxieties that fill up our lives and all of our burdens, and we dump it on his lap. And we say, okay, Dad, here it is. Father, here it is. And, and if, if God was just our Father, God at best might say, I'm sorry. There's nothing I can do for you here. Have, have, you ever, have you ever been on a phone call with a customer service rep? Where you're like, you're working on something, you got a problem with something, right? Like, in fact, just the other day, I had a problem with my uh, faucet. I have this smart faucet where, like, you talk to it, and then it, 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 it reacts to you. Like, it's, it's super, uh, you know, whatever, unnecessary, but, like, I love it. It's cool. It's awesome. Okay, so I got the smart faucet. Something wasn't working right, and so I call customer service. I call 1-800-MOWIN-WHATEVER.COM, whatever, call them. And I'm like, hey, listen, I got an issue with this uh, faucet. Like, and, and they're working, they're talking through, and... Now, now, when you're on a customer service call, the best thing you can hear on the other line is, hey, we're going to do everything we can to help you in this moment. We're going to do, look, look, do you want a refund? Do you want an exchange? We'll help you fix this thing. Well, the worst thing you can hear from the other line is, I'm sorry, there's nothing we can do for you. What do you mean there's nothing you can do for me? I need help right now. My faucet is broken. Help me right now. Wait, like, we're like, just help me. And they, they say, look, I'd love to, but there's nothing we can do for you. Friends, when you come to God as just Father absent of in heaven, you get a God who listened to you but a God who can't help you. We'll feel cared for. We feel warm and fuzzy inside, but nothing in our lives will actually change. But if you come to our Father, who art in heaven, you begin to understand the God that I'm praying to is the God who holds all the power of the cosmos while simultaneously he possesses all the love and care of a good dad. And from that place, he says, now come and talk to me. You can talk to me. I care about you, and I can do something about it. I love you, and I can intervene. I'll hear you, and I'll respond. This is what it means to pray our Father in heaven. Jesus' invitation is come, talk to your dad. Come, talk to your heavenly Father. And we want to give you an opportunity to take him up on that invitation. In fact, worship team, you guys can come on up. For the duration of this series, I mentioned this last week, for the duration of the series, which is about the next six weeks or so, uh, until we hit spring break. I know that sounds like an eternity away for some of us, but spring break will be here before we know it, uh, not to cause panic in your soul, but, but I'm just, it's just I, that I know that to be true. Uh, but for the duration of the series, we're going to host a weekly prayer gathering, a weekly prayer meeting that will run parallel with this series. Uh, th this prayer gathering will be on Fridays at 7 a.m. in Hub 107, which is right around the corner here on this level. 
Friday is a 7 a.m. And our first prayer gathering will be this Friday. And we, 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 would, we would love to see you there. It, it's an open invitation. Anyone can come. Just drop on in at 7 a.m. We'd love to see you there. This is going to be an opportunity. The reason why we're doing this is because we want to put into practice some of the things that we're talking about here on Sundays. See, if Jesus is serious about teaching us how to pray, we need to be serious about implementing these practices and patterns into our lives. And so we want to encourage you to lean into prayer during the weeks ahead. But for one of the days of your week, we would love to have you join us, your church family, as we gather together and pray. And that's going to be happening every Friday at 7 a.m. I know it's early. So we're like, good Lord, 7 a.m., man. It's just like, no, you know, no, uh, no, thank you. I know it's early. I know it's early. But I think you'll find it well worth your time to begin your day in this sort of posture of prayer as you begin the day with your church family, just praying and seeking the heart of God. And so we want to invite you to join us to pray. Our Father in heaven is how we are to approach God in prayer. And I love to pray for us now in that sort of posture. And so if you just take a moment and bow your heads with me, I'd love to pray for us.